ready, man? Party people! Hi, and welcome to the podcast today. Uh, a separate episode, as what I had teased previously, because uh, a really longer than expected, but thoughtful and insightful discussion um, as Nikki Licata. Uh, is back here for the third time, Christian's Corner, the run and walk for life that she's put together in honor of her son, uh, Christian, who took his life uh, while he was on active duty in Alaska. She will briefly share that story. And uh, helping you raise some money as uh, Amanda Held from Who's has been a part of the event for several years now. She and hopefully some of the ponies or the horses will be out there for this event. Uh, and during the course of this conversation, Amanda said that she d- she doesn't give um, advice because uh, when you give advice, it's for yourself. Well, um, Amanda gave a lot of advice. Uh, and if she doesn't like hearing it called that, I'll say Amanda gave a heck of a lot of wonderful insight. Whether or not you ever uh, decide to check out what she has going on at Hooves, there's just some really solid things that she said as she monologued away with some sage, thoughtful wisdom. And I'm glad to have you here on today's podcast. And I'm glad to have Nikki and Amanda now. Ladies, welcome back. Uh, it's great to see Nikki Lakata, Amanda Held from Hooves. Good morning, good afternoon. Hello. Hello, hello. Hi. Um, we're here to talk about the upcoming Run for Life. This is the third one, correct, Nikki? It is. Um, can, can I have the quick background and then we'll get to the dates and everything because there are probably many people who have not heard this very tragic story that has motivated you to put together this great event. Yes. So my son, Christian, served in the Army and he was based in Alaska and he was supposed to come home on leave December of 2020 when I received a phone call instead telling me that my son had died by suicide. Um, So I had him come home, but not the way I expected it. And as a result, I did a lot of research on suicide and and just those who serve and learned that a lot of that was happening in active military, but the amount of veterans that we were losing daily, I, I was blind to it before. Until it comes up and smacks you in the face, sometimes that has to happen and then you become aware. Um, So knowing that and having lost my son, I decided that I would do something positive from the negative. And Christian loved to run and he loved animals. So within six months, I set it up to organize the first 5K run walk. I had a pet adoption and it rolled on from there. And here comes your number three. Number three. Let's hit those dates real fast in the location and then where people might want to um, head to sign up. So it is Saturday, September 16th. And it is at Dana World Headquarters in Maumee. So if you're not familiar with the actual address, uh, you can look for the big building from the interstate that says people finding a better way. And we're doing it every day and we will do with the race. And it's at 3939 Technology Drive, Maumee. Don't forget the bridge is closed, though. Um, so you need to avoid that. But And so far in the first two years, we've had beautiful weather and a great turnout with all the participants. And one of those is Amanda with hooves that people are maybe a little bit familiar with. You've long done. Let me make, make sure I get this right. Equine therapy for veterans, right? So we provide non-clinical equine healing. It's nature-based. And we provide a four-day healing intensive at our farm and sanctuary in Swanton, Ohio. What is what is the equine healing like other than petting really beautiful stallions? <laughs> well, it's funny because I 
have a lot of people say, oh, I think it's so nice that you allow the veterans to come out and pet your horses. So there is definitely petting horses involved, but it's actually so much deeper than that. And horses are amazing creatures, and they're so powerful for healing because they're not like dogs. Dogs will, you know, try to please their owner, and they're a pack animal. Horses are a non-predatory herd animal, and they have a really high sense of self-preservation. So what that means in layman's terms is if I'm the horse in the wild that isn't behaving like the rest of the horses, I'm the target for the wolf. So we're actually able to capitalize on the natural survival instinct of these horses in session because what happens is when we put a group of people in with a group of horses, they'll actually start to mirror the emotions and behaviors of the people. And really, they're just trying to stay alive. And and they use what's called mirror neurons. And I always say mirror neurons are, it's our nonverbal communication. But if you think about a time you've walked down the hallway, and you've seen someone, and you kind of know they're not okay without having to say a word to them, those are mirror neurons. The internet would call them vibes, right? Vi- yes, exactly. <laughs> vibes, right? I got to learn all this new No, lingo. you're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> but yeah, so... So when the the equine healing component is really the horses starting to mirror the behavior of the people. And so instead of you having to go somewhere and talk about what's wrong with you, which we say there's nothing actually wrong with anybody. They just haven't been given the tools to um, actualize their healing. Uh, but the horses will start to take on actions, inactions, traits, and behaviors. And instead of talking about themselves, we'll just say, observe the horses. What do you see in them? And always people will pick out the things in the horses that are actually relative to them. And then instead of you having to sit there and talk about how to solve your problems, which if you knew how to solve your problems, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be, be here. Right. We can say, uh, how can we help the horses accomplish the tasks? And then whatever they do in the arena is reflective of what they can actually do in their life to overcome their obstacles. What initially took you down this this path, uh, this way of healing? I know you were an Air Force veteran, right? Yes, I'm an active duty Air Force veteran and I'm still serving in the Michigan Air National Guard. I, I'll have 20 years in October. But it, I think every great solution starts with a great problem, right? Mm-hmm. And so who's started because when I transitioned out of active duty, I didn't deal with it well. Uh, I had joined the military and found a great sense of purpose, camaraderie. I really didn't have any confidence at all before I joined the military, so I had a lot of confidence. And I got out to stay home with my kids, and I think that some people are meant to be stay-at-home moms and some people just aren't. And for me, I just sat at home all day and I didn't transition well and I started to get depressed and I started to have thoughts of suicide myself, which was really scary because I had a great life. And yeah. and then there, I think there was another layer of like shame and guilt on top of that because it's like, I have this great life. I have these kids. I have no reason to be depressed. It's exactly what sent me to therapy. I, it wasn't even necessarily a mental health thing. It was just a conundrum that I went and solved. Yes, absolutely. So uh, for me, I went to the doctor, I went to therapy, I tried different medications, I was actually labeled treatment resistant. And so nothing was working. And they basically told me, you're just gonna have to take these really heavy sedatives for the rest of your life, you're never really going to have a full quality of life. And this is just your situation. And there's no shame about it. There's just something wrong with your brain. What year was this? Um, that was in 2005. I, I think we've come 
light years since then, and hopefully you wouldn't be deemed that way. But I know no more medication and the equine healing has got you where you are, right? Yes. So it's actually uh, a serendipitous moment where I was asked by the facility manager at the Air Force Academy, which is where we were living at the time, if I wanted to adopt a wild Mustang. And I first was like, there's no way. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I showed Western pleasure growing up. I don't know how to train wild horses. But somehow he talked me into it. And that experience really changed my life. And I think it attests to the kind of the science behind hooves. Because there are a lot of nature-based things. But we also bring in neuroscience and cognitive thinking. So what was happening for me at the time was that every day when I would go to work with that horse, if I wasn't right, the horse wouldn't respond to me. She would just go to the other side of the arena. So every day I had to get into the practice of being present, being mindful, being calm, doing whatever I could that day to be calm. And then when I would, I would get the reward of her engagement and connection. And I, looking back over time, I know that every day I put myself in that emotional state and over time I built neural pathways. Yeah, it's like going to the gym and working uh, muscles. You exactly. do the same with your mind and we just don't get taught that exactly. as much and it's harder to see. Um, yes. You touched on something that we see um, with veterans, a lot of athletes deal with this or anybody who might lose a job. Like you feel purposeless and then that's when the dark thoughts come in. And Nikki, I want to ask you as well because you've done so much work and and the whole world is more cognitively aware and acutely aware of of their mental health now um are are is our military doing a better job of in the same way that we train people in are we doing a better job training them out so we don't have those high suicide numbers i think they are definitely on the spot right now yeah um because there is so much awareness i mean you can't hold those statistics back Mm -mm. and although it's published in in the annual reports and things like that the fact that more and more people like me are saying hey are you aware have you seen this and what can we do about it and i have not looked at their most recent report by the department of defense but they put together a, a panel or board or I don't know, some some kind of commission to go out and look at the top nine bases where uh, they had a high suicide rate. And ironically, three of those bases were in Alaska. Um, They were supposed to have something published by the end of December as far as an action plan. I believe that's out there. Uh, I haven't looked. But uh, yeah, I and think hopefully that, it's I not just stepping up. I hopefully it's not it's not just lip lip service. I think something that we might have talked about before, myself with others, when you think of sending a, a child um, off to a potentially dangerous part of the planet, you think about them maybe losing their life in the line of duty, not when they get home. But to your point, this is becoming people are becoming more aware of this that that these situations can break human beings. Somebody with a terrible boss. We know how bad somebody with a terrible life situation because they're around the world fighting for freedom and see so many deadly things. We got to make sure these people, we don't lose them when they come home. I I think you've got the people that suffer the trauma during active service, right? And and then you have just the, the people that are active military that are dealing with the everyday situations that we do at home as civilians, the the emotional 
uh, journey that you're on, leaving your family and, um, you know, just health issues and, and being away. I, I think, honestly, that's what my son was dealing with. Um, so, you know, you, you've got two two vastly different situations, but each that need their own um, help, I guess. Amanda, do you think uh, uh, the services are doing a better job getting people back into a life where it's not the same purpose, but they have purpose, so the depression doesn't set in, um, even in the sense that when they come to see you, they're at least more willing to come see you as opposed to years ago where it was such a taboo thing, especially for men. Yes, absolutely. I, I do think, and you know, I'm, I'm still serving in the guard and I am seeing the awareness is there and the want to help is there. And they have things like in, in the army, I'm in the air force, but in the army, I know they have skill bridge. So I think they have a lot of programs to try to help you connect to a career or things like that. And I think maybe sometimes the expectation is just like, okay, well, we're helping you transition into a life like mentally, but I think there's still a lot there emotionally. And I do absolutely believe that the stigma around it, I mean, 10 years ago, I I had one guy come through the program and he said that they were all put in a formation. He was in the army and he said they were all put in a formation after their, their deployment. And their sergeant was like going back and forth, like, you don't cry, you know, you're fine, nothing's wrong with you, and just like stood, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I, it was like twitching, my body was twitching, but I think we've made a lot of progress, I still think there's a long way to go, but I think the awareness is there, I think the want to help is there, but I think we need to shift our perspective a little bit to, yes, you might provide great support career-wise, vocationally, but there's still things mentally and emotionally that really need to be wrapped up before you can fully transition. And kind of like Nikki was saying, when we think about like veteran suicide, uh, we think about combat veterans or, you know, oh, they must have seen something really tragic yeah. at war. And those actually aren't the veterans that are mostly committing suicide. But there's a, a couple of other elements. And, you know, looking at e- even from my perspective, you know, going overseas, when you go overseas, you are away from your family. You do pretty much the same thing every day. You have things largely taken care of for you. There's a lot of little things that you don't have to worry about in life. So you're just focused on the mission and every day is the same and there's nothing to do over there. So you just go to the gym and work out and you take care of yourself. And so you're also having this long period of time where you, yes, you have a lot of worries and stress, but a lot of people, especially if they're not going outside the wire every day, Like it's really just a different mindset. And again, as we talk about neural pathways, if you're in an environment that's isolated and you have certain ways and certain patterns that you're used to, that your brain is used to, and then all of a sudden you come back home and it's like the kids are happy to see you and your spouse is happy to see you and your friends wanna see you. And it's like sensory overload. And you're like, oh my gosh, like so many people are just like, I just want to go back there. Yeah. I just want, yeah, my just... life was at risk, but I could manage my day to day. And now I got to worry about bills and I got to provide and pe- all these people want things from me. So I think a, a lot of what I've seen is the post-deployment struggle is more of like, 
I can't reacclimate to having to deal with all this stress because there's stress over there, but it's a different type of stress. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it's more structured. It's rigid. Um, to your point, it's more dangerous over there, but you feel safety because you're just used to it. Um, post-deployment struggle. Is that an acronym? Is that a phrase? It should be. It really should it be. It should be. Um, something else that uh, when you talked about how we're training people, maybe physically and maybe mentally, but not emotionally, to get back into life a little bit. And please, both of you speak on this because... One thing I, and I don't come in contact with any of our armed services nearly as much as you two do. Um, more places are embracing mental health professionals, especially schools around here. I do work with the Ability Center, and I wish I wish when we were kids, we had dogs going through schools, and we're opening our minds up a little bit. Are there any kind of mental health professionals that are with the Navy, with the Army, whoever. So when someone is done yelling at them or whatever, you've got someone with some expertise who can walk somebody through this and maybe psychologically get them back to life? Or are we just not there yet? I don't want to get you uh, kicked out of the service or anything, by the way. No, I, I try to take a very like neutral opinion. Um, and, you know, there are two sides. And again, like I always say, when we generalize, we polarize. So, yeah, can we generalize and be like, oh, it's just this machine and you're just a number? Okay, in one aspect, that might be true, but I also see a ton of people at the ground level that do care so deeply. And, you know, we go to meetings and we sit around the table and we're like, how can we solve these problems? And and so it's not like people are ignoring it or avoiding it or downplaying it. I just think that, you know, not every we don't have all the answers yet. But I do think that, you know, we have a, a director in the Air Guard. We have the director of psychological health now. There's one in at every base, sometimes more than one, depending on how big the base is. And so if, if people identify that you might be struggling or if you are struggling, you go to the director of psychological health. They don't provide treatment, but they plug you into resources. So we do have someone at every base in the Air National Guard actively uh, working with people to get them treatment. And then we also have Military One Source. And so anybody that's in the military can call Military One Source and they can get hooked up with virtual counseling. Like an EAP for the military. Yeah. And you get like eight to 10 sessions. So I don't want to say that nobody's doing anything about it. They've also implemented resiliency training and things like that. You know, unfortunately, and this isn't Amanda's opinion, this is just the data, it's yeah. not enough. Yeah. Right. Nope. Resiliency needs to start at a younger age because I think a lot of these people, I'm not saying that everyone joins the Army or, or the Air Force to run away, but a lot of the times, if, if you're lost, and you don't have a focus. And I saw it time and time again with people that I grew up with. Well, I'm going to join the service. Right. Because they didn't know what they wanted to do here. And they felt that gave them purpose. And someone's like, to Amanda's point, her, the illustration every day, someone's going to tell you what to do from the time you get up to the time you're done for the day. Right. And you don't really have a choice. Yep. Um, last. Yep. Sorry. I just wanted to say really quick. And that's such a great point, Nikki. And. A lot of times people think that they are coming to Hooves to deal with what happened to them in the military. But most of the work that we do is done from what happened to them before the age of 12. I want to come back to that because I know uh, Hooves has expanded a little bit in the last year. But my last question about uh, about the service life and whatnot, you talked about the uh, psychological director that people can go to. Is there a little bit less taboo or fear to go to that person these days where I'm sure 10 years ago... Your people that that you're you're on duty with will rip you a new one because you're you're a coward. This is not how it works. Are there more people willing to go to it? Absolutely, there is. I think 
that that has become ex- extremely progressive and I really don't see I'm in the medical group right now so we have the director of psychological health right down the hall but in what I've experienced in the past 10 years people are a lot of people are reaching out for help and I haven't personally seen anybody criticize somebody that has and I think every time we I, we lost um we had a suicide last year it wasn't at our base but it was in the state of Michigan but I think that we're all traumatized, like secondary trauma from all of the service members that we are losing. And so from what I've experienced and seen, people take that very seriously. And I have not personally seen a lot of backlash on people reaching out for mental health help. In the same way that when I go to see middle school kids now and mental health is a part of their their dialogue. Um, it's just just like those kids grow into their internet talk those people will wind up in the services and they will talk about it more. It's just a, a tough uphill battle. You talk about the collateral damage. I see it with this woman. I've, yeah. I've sat with her so many times. I've heard her voice and the agony that she has been through because as you've illustrated, as, as you found out all too well, um, mental health issues with a particular person in a family, here or not, affects everybody. And I'm so glad that you yeah. found some help for the struggles that you've had to go with because nobody, no one should have to go through what you went through. It for somebody that felt that they were on top of things. I felt I had a good life. I, everything, you know, was okay with me. And I was caught off guard. And I say this over and over again. My son laughed. But when he laughed to relieve his pain, that pain was transferred to me, to his brother, his other relatives. And, and I have had to change my mindset. I've been down the rabbit hole where I never would have understood how that would have felt before. Now I feel like I am my son on certain days. And, and I understand um, that I have to change my mindset. I actually took the time um, by Amanda's invitation to go out to the retreat because not only was I supporting it, but I wanted to understand how it worked. And she could see my pain. She could see my pain and she said, you need to come. Not only do you need to understand the problem, but you need it for yourself. And um, I will tell you, I learned some very, very valuable tools um, and I have to implement them every day. Yeah, it, it is a journey that doesn't end. When you lose somebody that way, friend, family, it, it has such an impact on your life. And um, so I, I have only two things. One, I have to keep myself positive, and then I have to do something positive for others. Yeah. Well, oftentimes when we're feeling down, we want to do something selfish. It's just kind of human nature, but as many of us have found in the last couple of years, we're more em- empathetic than we give ourselves credit for. When you do something good for somebody else who can't do anything for you, it gives you that little pep in your step. Yep. And now, uh, are we still Wellbutrin buddies? <laughs> so I am on Wellbutrin, um, I find, and, and there has been the stigma. You know, I said, I don't need medication. I don't need medication. And um, for a while, I was on something different. And then I took myself off. And um, then because of additional uh, pressures within the family over my son's death, it's really, really been a struggle. And um, I will say to anybody that's listening that um, it doesn't end with just you, if that is your thought process. 
Um, I pray to God that you you are not considering that. But the people that are left behind, you'd think that they'd come together. And honestly, we're all on our own emotional journey. And with that, it creates those ripples and waves within the family. Sure. And, and that in itself is a struggle. So on top of a loss, you're, you're um, experiencing other losses. Um, it, it's, it's just a journey. But like I say, um, medication, yes. Um, I've taken myself off twice and found, no, I'm not quite ready. Maybe I never will be. Yeah. Um, but I will say that the biggest uh, the biggest uh, impact on me is the lessons I've learned through Amanda's program and the people that are in the program at the time that you go because they each have been on a similar journey um, and you learn you're not alone. You are mm-hmm. you are not alone in the way that you're feeling and thinking. And you do. You you join with these people and you think, these people are right alongside me. And you stay in touch. And we all need that. We yeah. need that support. And a lot of the time, it will not come from sitting in a therapy office having a prescription handed to you. There no. are great therapists out there. I've met a few of them. Unfortunately, that didn't work for me. I tell people to do what works for them, no matter how weird it, it no matter no matter how odd it is. If it's not Amanda's horses, if you want to play with a scorpion, have tons of snakes in your house. If it works for you, it works for you. And you're right; that darkness is often going to tell you nobody else could ever possibly feel like this. When that's actually the complete opposite of the reality. And sometimes the first big step for so many people getting help is knowing, like what you just said, there are others out there and they can share their tools or at least get you on the path to help yourself. Yep. Um, Amanda, can I come back to you? Because Hooves is a little wider business now, not just helping veterans, right? We are expanding. Yes, I think that after. You know, 15 years of listening to people at the end of every single retreat saying, man, if I just would have had these tools when I was a kid, I wouldn't have fill in the blank. And like Nikki said, yes, a lot of people run to the military. We had a guy in our last retreat that said, literally, I didn't have another option. His mom passed away of cancer when he was 17. And two weeks later, his dad left and he couch surfed and he said, there was nothing else for me. And uh, I guess he was going to join the Air Force and somehow the Marines got a hold of him. So I told him I was sorry for that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, again, he, you know, and then he has given me permission to, to share as much about his story because, you know, he was actually driving to church and he was at a red light and out of nowhere, almost uncontrollably, he reached into his glove box, pulled out his nine mil, put it to his chin and pulled the trigger and the bullet got lodged in the barrel. And then he ended up in a residential treatment program. You know, it got him, it kept him alive for another 30 days, but he didn't actually, you know, get a full healing from it. And and part of his discharge was that he had to find a follow-on program. So he did at Hooves. And the work that we did at Hooves, I don't even, he didn't even really mention anything from his deployments. All the work was done on what happened to him yeah you know when he was a child and that's really where it's at and what i found in you know i used to be a little bit like nervous to talk about a lot of this stuff because 
some of it sounds woo-woo and some of it is a little metaphysical, but doing it for 15 years and seeing it never be wrong, like there are patterns in every single person's life that are there and I've never not been able to find them so I'm much more comfortable talking about that stuff these days but you have these traumas that happen to you before the age of 12 and some of them are catastrophic and some of them aren't but what we teach at Hooves is you know if um, little Johnny goes to the refrigerator to get the milk out because he wants to make a bowl of cereal he's six years old and his parents are still in bed and he's like oh I'm gonna be self-sufficient and he grabs that milk and it spills all over the floor and mom comes out and is like, oh my gosh, you just spilled the milk everywhere. That's a trauma. Microtraumas. Microtraumas, That build exactly. over years and years and years. And microtraumas are equal, they have equal symptoms to a catastrophic trauma over a certain period of time. But I think what's also relevant about those moments is that when we, any time that we experience something uncomfortable emotionally, we leave our body a little bit, right? We start to disconnect. And so if you have a lot of traumas over time or catastrophic trauma, you have like disconnected the mind-body connection and then you become a head thinker. So anybody that is experiencing anxiety um, is to some degree stuck in their head because our bodies will soothe us um, if we are intentional about it and mindful about it. So all this time of having these painful and then I just think about like the kids in the foster care system or the kids that are being abused you know those are mega traumas every day and so what happens is at the age of 12 our brain waves change and we go into a beta brainwave state where the gates to our subconscious lock and whatever's in there is in there and we literally spend the rest of our lives in a feedback loop of the beliefs that have been programmed into us as children and so that's why I was so passionate about creating the Patriot Project, because we show adults how to reprogram their, their brains, basically. We show them how to reprogram their beliefs. We show them how to discover their intrinsic affirmations. You know, when we talk about medication, um, you know, I am not against it. I think that, you know, and we even, we talk about this in the program, because a lot of people come, and some are very heavily medicated, and some of them aren't medicated, but maybe should be medicated, mm -hmm. right? But but medication is helping your brain um, produce certain hormones. But what's really cool is what we do when we take people through these exercises and we connect the dots and we help them understand their past and, and understand like the purpose in their suffering, what happens is their brain on its own will start to produce these feelings that are in alignment with even the medications that they're taking. And so we show people like, you can create your own brain chemistry by managing your perspective or even being proactive. Like, how do you want to feel today? Bring up that feeling. Where do you feel that in your body? And then we have people give it a color and then they grow that color. But what that is is actually neuro-linguistic programming, which is also a really powerful self-healing tool. Um, so if you wake up every day and spend 30 seconds, okay, how do I want to feel today? What's the specific emotion? Where do I feel it in my body? I'm going to give it a color. I'm going to grow that. What you're doing is you're creating your own brain chemistry and you're being proactive, right? So you're creating serotonin. You're creating dopamine. So not everybody is able to do that. And some people are in challenging situations where um, they can't see their way out. And that's where I believe that medication is critical. 
I couldn't do all I couldn't do all my coping nonsense, and some of the stuff is pretty nonsensical <laughs> without the medications. Right. It's like a blood pressure medication. Mm-hmm. It's like a pre-workout. It gets me to a point where I can use these things. Yes. And um, so for people that you know are on medication and they're happy that way and they want to maintain that way, that is awesome. And some people are. And then some people come and they're like, I want to be off of all of this. And I say, well, don't <laughs> do that. Right. Um, but if you want to start to balance it out and if that is the path that you want to take, it's absolutely possible. And we see it every month at Hooves. And again, I always tell people, I don't, I'm not in the business of giving advice. I believe that any piece of advice you give to someone else is for you first. So rarely do I give advice. But what I do try to do is teach people how to trust their intuition because you are the only, you're, you are your only advocate, really. And so if you can't trust yourself, then somebody's always going to be making life decisions for you. And if they aren't the right decisions for you, your body's going to let you know that. So I think it's more about, you know, and especially with the kids, we teach them what we teach is called the human blueprint. So you have traits, dominant traits and characteristics. You have intrinsic an intrinsic driving force that where you're drawn to something. You have God-given gifts. And when you live, when you know who you are, which most people don't, even adults, most people don't know to, who they are. That's why they go to counseling. Right. Um, <laughs> but when you're a kid and you can, we can find out who you are right away, when you know who you are, you stop trying to be everybody else. Mm-hmm. And trying to be everybody else is one of the most painful things that kids experience. I experienced it. I hated myself in grade school. I never felt good enough. I wasn't popular. I always wanted to be like the other girls because I didn't know my own strengths. So helping these kids find out, we call it the blueprint. You find out your blueprint and then you find out, okay, maybe you admire this thing about this person and you're not doing it in the same way, but there's another form. So we have an exercise called finding the form. So what do you admire about somebody else and where do you actually possess that within yourself in a, maybe in a different area of life. And so when we can help these kids right now find out who they are intrinsically, they're less likely to be subject to outside influence. And so when you can be the best version of you, you give energy to everyone around you. And so we're creating leaders in the community. Um, and it doesn't matter. How, we watch, I watched seven-year-old kids last week with our director of youth services, Katie, discover their blueprint learn how to, um, we call it collapsing a belief, right? So um, we had everybody write down like the thing that plays in your head that's negative all the time. And um, then we help them actually go in and find examples of where the opposite has been true, right? And so when we get into like reprogramming our brain, our brain needs hard evidence to change. And so it's kind of like benefit stacking. So if you can find enough hard evidence that the opposite is true, you'll flip a neural pathway in your brain and you'll create a new belief, which will release different chemicals into your body, which are positive chemicals instead of negative chemicals. So obviously when people come, we make it really simple. And the exercises are very simple. We don't go into all the neuroscience. But there is powerful evidence-based proof behind everything we're doing. And I think what's also amazing about the program, and you know, again, I will never knock therapy. I think it's great. I know amazing therapists. But what we're doing is different because we're teaching people a set of tools that they can take with them for the rest of their life. And when we, we call it doing the work, but the work is actually a set of quality questions. Because one of my great mentors says, uh, Dr. John Martini says, the quality of your life is based on the questions you ask. So if you want a better life, ask better questions. And so we provide these kids with questions that can literally help them 
empower them and change the trajectory of their life. And what's really cool, the best part about it is they're loving it. Because I I told Katie, put me in front of 5,000 adults on a stage and I won't have one nerve in my body. But put me in front of five teenagers and I want to go in the corner Mm. in the fetal position. There's an old... uh, (laughs) Ed McMahon and Johnny Carson line. I guess Ed McMahon used to say he was great in front of a thousand, bad in front of ten. Um, all this stuff, I, I see the the foundation of it is is CBT, is cognitive behavioral yeah, therapy. A lot of um, it, which is what most people go into and deal with in therapy. You're just that that therapist is doing. I call it microsurgery on your brain. And we often don't get taught that, but you're talking about teaching these kids how to do it. And it's simple reframing like, oh, you're you're jealous of Ashley. She, you think she has such a phenomenal life. Well, what you might not know is X, Y, and Z. And that simple reframing is nothing that we're taught until, you know, it's already too late when you're a broken Instagram-hating teenager. Exactly. Um, all this was a very long way to say that Amanda and Hooves will be out at the Run for Life coming up next month and uh, raising some money for uh, Hooves and other causes. Nikki, one last time, some final thoughts and then um, how people can get involved. I think just come run, walk. We have a silent auction with lots of donations from the community. Uh, the pet adoption. And last year, some of the people that were in the walk actually took some of the pets that were up for adoption on the walk with them. And, of course, you were there to emcee the entire event. So you know they're coming for you anyway. No. <laughs> I'm only there for the dogs. The dogs and the butterflies. The butterflies. The butterflies. And can you believe last year? So you know the story with my son that the butterfly is so significant and for those that um, are listening basically when my son was seven he said on a piece of paper he drew a picture of a butterfly and he said if I were a butterfly I would fly to heaven because it would be really cool and when he died the funeral home asked me to go find photographs of him and that was the first thing I found in a box in the basement so to me my son did fly to heaven And last year on the day of the race, we were standing up by the stage. you remember this? Mm -hmm. And this butterfly came out of nowhere and flew and landed right on my cheek and just sat there for like five seconds like he was giving me a kiss and then flew away. It was just the most amazing thing, um, aside from all the other amazing things that happened that day. We had a great turnout. It's so much fun. Don't miss out on it. Do come and see us. Again, Saturday, September 16th, 8 a.m. We'll start with the silent auction bidding. Um, take a look online. I'll send information to you, Eric, mm-hmm. that maybe you can post out there. Go on the link. You can see all the things up for bids and the other activities we have. So. And Amanda, to get with hooves? Yes, you can also find information on our website, uh, hooves.us, and go to the events tab. Awesome. Thank you, ladies. Super easy. Nobody cursed. (laughs) (laughs) We made it.